Welcome to Book Chatter, a monthly book club podcast presented by the Longmont Public Library. I'm Josie, your host for this episode, and today I extend a warm welcome to two new hosts that you will hear more from in future episodes, Edward hello, and Z. Hello. Both Edward and Z can be found working at the reference desk with me. Thank you both for being here to discuss this book. And a spoiler alert, as always, today we'll be discussing the book in its entirety. So if you haven't finished it, you might want to come back to this episode when you've done so. Um, So a little bit about the author and the book that we're going to be talking about. Luma Mufle is the founder of Fuji's Family, with schools now in Georgia and Ohio, and an expanding footprint bringing educational equity to refugee resettlement communities across America. Her TED Talk on educational justice for refugee families was viewed more than 1.7 million times. We will put that in our newsletter so you can listen to that. Our book blurb from Learning America comes from the publisher HarperCollins. When Luma Mufle, a Muslim, gay, refugee woman from hyper-conservative Jordan, stumbled upon a pickup game of soccer in Clarkston, Georgia, something compelled her to join. The players, 11- and 12-year-old boys from Liberia, Afghanistan, and Sudan, soon welcomed her as a coach of their ragtag but fiercely competitive group. Drawn into their lives, Mufla learned that few of her players, all local public school students, could read a single word. She asks, where was the America that took me in, that protected me? How can I get these kids to that America? Learning America traces the story of how Mufla grew a group of kids into a soccer team and then into a nationally acclaimed network of schools for refugee children. The journey is inspiring and hard one. Fuji schools accept only those most in need. No student passes a grade without earning it. The failure of any student is the responsibility of all. Soccer, as a part of every school day, is a powerful catalyst to heal trauma, create belonging, and accelerate learning. Finally, this gifted storyteller delivers provocative, indelible portraits of student after student making leaps in learning that aren't supposed to be possible for children born into trauma. Stories that shine powerful light on the path to educational justice for all of America's most left behind. Jose Andres, chef and founder of World Central Kitchens, calls the book, quote, a powerful story reminding us that the journey of refugees and immigrants doesn't end the day they arrive in America. Coach Luma shows us the deep power of one of the world's most universal languages, soccer, and above all, unifying strength of community, end quote. So we're going to do our impressions, star ratings, and I'm going to let Edward go first. What do you think? Um, I very much enjoyed this book. I definitely would give it five stars. Um, The reason I say that is with in my experience with a lot of nonfiction books, uh, early on you get a lot of information dump. Mm-hmm. It becomes a little bit overwhelming when you're reading the book and takes away from the message that they're trying to, the author is trying to get across. Um, I definitely feel like I did not see that with this book. Um, very concise, but very emotionally and very strong, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, when delivering the message she, she was trying to deliver. Mm-hmm. What about you, Z? Um, I would definitely give it five stars for sure. Okay. Um, it was a very powerful and moving, uh, just kind of like whatever said, like the, the information was like in the grand scheme of things was a lot, but the way that she put it together and like conveyed it uh-huh. was digestible enough for like us to process, or at least for me, it definitely helped me process it. Um, her words are very vivid and the way she explained things, especially, like more complex ideas and how she just kind of narrows it down to more simplistic things and mm-hmm. brings it down to a more where anyone can understand what she's talking about type of level. Definitely loved it. Yeah. Okay. So we've got two fives. Um, I'm going to give it a 4.5 <laughs> uh, for all the reasons you both said. Um, it was very powerful. Uh, I think the students that she profiled were amazing and so resilient. And I think she's quite amazing. Um I only had a few quibbles a couple times I'll get into later. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's well worth your time to read and learn about the experiences of these refugees and um, how she's trying to help them. Uh, so we're going to ask the questions now. So um, at the very beginning of the book, it says soccer is a universal language. Why do you think that is the case? Or do you think that is the case? I have never played soccer where I grew up. 
it was all football and basketball. We didn't even have a soccer team. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think I can speak a little bit to that. Um, I feel like most countries outside of the United States, uh, soccer or football, mm-hmm. well, yes. how it's called yes. outside, um, is huge. You know, like during recess, you play soccer. Mm-hmm. You're, um, you leave school, you play soccer. Uh, you know, like y- you know, um, I was raised in Mexico, um, and that was a very big thing we did down there. We down there called them retas, and basically you would play soccer against your friends. Um, sometimes you go to different neighborhoods to play soccer with kids from a different neighborhood. And mm-hmm. so you would yeah. kind of do your own pickup games. Yeah, they weren't official sort of. Yeah, so retas were pickups. Yeah. you know, but it's, it's huge. It's um, there was a show, it was an anime show back in the day. It was called Super Campeones, like Super Champions translate to. It's like, uh-huh. It was a soccer anime, and a lot of the um, characters there, they had their unique style or they had like a special kick or whatnot. Uh-huh. And I think we definitely tried to emulate that in a way. We're like, oh, you know, I do this kick or whatever. <laughs> um, but I think that's why it would be universal is that, you know, most people um, end up growing soccer, and that's something that goes through the classes. You know, we played with raggedy balls that you know, you know, they were torn or whatever. Uh-huh. Sometimes they were flat. You know, hurt to kick them, <laughs> um, but it, it transcended the classes. Yeah, uh, I think that's. I would say it's a universal language. I guess you don't really need a whole lot of, like, like the football here. I mean, you have some so much equipment, and pads, and all that crap. And no, hockey there. as well, but there you just you kind of just need a. A ball and maybe some rocks to delineate the goal, yeah? Yep, you would just like two do legs. rocks. Yeah. 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 What do you think? Do you think it's a universal language? In that, in a sense of, like, where anyone can really play and it can go through any class, yes. Um, I personally don't speak soccer. Yeah. <laughs> like, I am not an athletic person. Like, that is just not my designation for sure. But I can see where, where she's coming from. Uh, just kind of like how Edward explained that, you know, anybody from any class, you just need a ball, two legs and like mm-hmm. some rocks. Maybe sometimes you don't even need rocks. You just you just kick the ball and play around mm-hmm. and you can have a lot of fun with that for hours on end. Uh, and so that is, is like basically universal mm-hmm. uh, to any anybody and everybody. So, yeah, I would agree with it, um, though. Is it for everyone? I would argue no. It just I don't know. I, I don't see kids playing just pick up game sports much anymore. I mean, I've, I've seen a, a park near my house, there's a basketball hoop and I'd sometimes see a game going on, but like baseball or, or soccer. And I mean, I don't know, I guess I just, it's so you have to be in a league and blah, 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 blah. And, and I think it mm-hmm. takes away so much from kids organizing their own games. Right. Yeah, definitely. It, uh, even back then, um, it was hard to f- find enough people to get like a, a game of baseball going. Uh-huh. And that was when, most people did not have access to um, internet or, um, you know, the latest console or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and back then we had issues trying to find enough people. So I, I can imagine now, yeah. you know, to get a baseball game going. I guess soccer, you there's just like need three two of people. You guys. Yeah. <laughs> or two, four maybe, <laughs> two goalies. Okay. I noticed early on when Luma's being, is, is coaching the team, this is before the school started and things, she maybe tries to set boundaries, but jumps those boundaries um she takes some of the the boys around she um helps buy groceries she's like once she goes to the hospital with one of the kids or something mm-hmm. yeah. um so I, I wonder you know if i was in her shoes would i have done the same thing would you would you would you guys have done the same thing and you know is it important to have those kind of boundaries as a coach or should you just say, well, well, these kids need me, so I'm the only person here? I think it definitely depends on how you start, um, how you're involved in this. Um, if you're working through an organization, it's one of those things where you, you might want to be a little bit careful to establish those boundaries um, so you know those things don't become a liability. And sometimes um, you know, it's required of you through whatever foundation you're working to, to, to create that distance between you and that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and in her situation, she, you know, literally ran into his kids on the street and thought that they got a need. And that, that was a different kind of pull. That was, yeah. that, that was more of a natural pull. And I've seen this kid struggle. I know the struggle from um, the upgrading that she had, you know, like she, she seen that she, she was a refugee herself um, uh-huh. different from the kids maybe, but I can see where those boundaries would have 
you know, faded and she got pulled in sometime just for having that very similar background and experience and, you know, seeing other people go through this. Yeah. Maybe she, she, you know, really neglected her business to help, (laughs) you know, to help these kids. And And I I definitely think um, it's one of those things too, where you might want to have some boundaries at some point. um, So you don't bring yourself out. If you know, you, you're exposed to all these people with a certain trauma or or, um, like her, she, at some point she was overwhelmed by all this and she, you know, went off and partied and really neglected her responsibilities to the team. Um, And I think that that might've been cause of caused by um, those boundaries, not being super clear defined at that point. And, Mm -hmm. you know, she burned herself out and, you know, you burn yourself out. Compassion. Yeah. You know, what, what help can you do? Yeah, I think at least her situation, it is hard to not get yourself involved because I I feel like she it was hard for her to not see herself in them mm-hmm. because of her experience and their experience that they had together or similar struggle that they had. So like I, I know for myself, I probably would it would have been like an um, like emotional dilemma because like these kids need you mm-hmm. because like at this point you're like their only hope because when they go back home it doesn't exist. Like their parents are pretty much as lost as they are. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, although, yeah, the, I think trying to set those type of boundaries could be crucial, especially like how you mentioned Edward of like when she like just blew up because like everything that was going on was just too much for her to process. Like that's when like boundaries that like, could have helped her into like not implode and kind of be in a self-destructive way like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I think for myself, I think I would have been in the same position where if I could have helped, I would have definitely done all that I could. Yeah. Um, even if it did kind of mean neglecting my business and kind of neglecting myself because it from I, I'm she didn't really divulge in like about like her state of being throughout that experience. But I, I would assume that she kind of forgot to take care of herself a bit and stuff like that just like mm-hmm. like the basic necessities of what she needs to like operate as a human being might have like been kind of tossed out the window uh, mm-hmm. but to meet these like kids needs when they needed her help on page 45 she talks about two americas have either of you ever experienced two americas you know if so what was it like and if not i mean i i, I guess a white middle class woman so i have not experienced two americas necessarily um but I wondered about what you thought of what she said about that. I, I definitely do believe that uh, there are two different types of Americas. Um, you know, when I moved here and I started getting assimilated in into society here. How old were you again? Um, I was seven when I first moved here. Oh, okay. um, so, you know, you go through the process of assimilation and, um, you know, they tell you, like, oh, you you know, as American, you have these rights and everything's always going to be equal. You have the same rights as everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get to at some point, you know, once you're out in the real world, you realize that that's not true. I had a lot of issues with uh, people having an issue with, with my accent mm-hmm. um, and, you know, making a complaint about that. Or people tell me, look how far you've made it from what you came as if um, it's expected of me to fail and it was a whole different notion you, you do get treated differently um depending uh, obviously of, of your origin and color of skin uh, mm-hmm. i think that's you know that's a given that did you experience any of that in school uh i did experience it um from some of my teachers um they would point out how when speaking to my peers i would switch a lot between um english and spanish uh-huh one of them made a comment, like, oh, you, you switch to a different language because you don't, uh, it's easier for you to say something. Um, kind of saying, like, uh, I was like, oh, I, I didn't want to put the effort to try to find the proper way to say it in, in English. Oh. But that's not the case. It's, it's the point where I'm fluent in both languages and some things are better expressed. Um, and one of the languages that there might not be any real words for that or any real expression right. for that in, you know, either in English or in my case, Spanish. So I go, you know, when I speak um, with people that I know are bilingual, it's not just one language. It's, it's both just because some things are better. I can't that believe that they, they're saying that you're lazy and you're the one that's multilingual. <laughs> yeah. It's they're like, Oh, it's like, Oh, <laughs> you know, you just find it too hard to find the proper words. You switch uh, no. to Spanish. It's like, well, huh. what do you think to America's Z? Oh, I definitely 
do believe that there are two yeah. different Americas. I grew up, I was born in Colorado mm-hmm. and grew up here. And the dramatic things that you could see, especially like in my position. In my childhood, I grew up in El Barrio. So mm-hmm. in the mobile home parks where it's kind of run down and uh, you don't go out until specific you know time and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I went to a what I would call a white school. I went mm-hmm. into like a very uh, popular school that um, and all like the white kids, basically, for lack of a better term, they had mansions, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, like what I had was a house that to me was a house. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, no, you live in a mobile home. Like, no, that was my house where they lived in was like 80 times bigger. And how they even operated was so different, because at least in my school in like kindergarten, I would go between two different classes or class modes, if you will. Um, I would go to like the Spanish group where all the Spanish kids were would go to, and mm-hmm. then I would go to the English group, and we would divide that up for half the day. Um, and you, it was like reflecting on it now, like like the changes were so different. Um, how we acted and how we behaved culturally and socially, uh, how we were taught as well was also very different. And especially as I started to grow up, and, and you just you just see. These the small nuances it's, to some people don't mean a whole lot, but you know, to me, it was a whole lot. Like I had a lot of friends that were like really rich, yeah. Where like my sandwich only had like three slices of bologna on it and stuff like that, and theirs had like five. Like you really just just three just three slices. I'm like, this is all that we have, bro. Like if if I like take any more, like I have nothing <laughs> for Friday, right? Um, I'm like, oh yeah, here, like take this or like have that, you know? Like, do you want my Xbox, my Sega, you know, like my, you know, my Nintendo? I was like, what? Like, you're just gonna give this to me? And because it wasn't really a hardship for them to, give it wasn't it. a hardship for them. Yeah. But for me, like that was impossible. Like my parents were both working, you know, like three, four jobs, mm-hmm. and like they barely knew any English when they came here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I grew up with three different languages uh, in my fa- in my household. So we spoke, you know, a little bit of English, a little bit of Spanish, and a little bit of Mayatan. And so I would kind of switch between all of those. But in school, it was either Spanish or English. But then when I moved to a different school, it was just like English only. Oh. Um, and every time I tried to like speak my mind in Spanish or in my just because I know how to express myself better that way, I was told like, you can't do that. Yeah. You can't do that. Like you, English only, English only. And that was kind of driven into my head. It goes back to, you know, with my experience, you mm-hmm. know, it's like you're too lazy to find the English, you know, variant of, of what you're trying to say. Right. And it's like, you, you, no, you just do it in English and it's like, oh. Yeah. And then there's like how people treat you as well. Um, I started to get very critical about who I was as a person into other people's eyes. Um, mm-hmm. Because for me, I didn't see... I, I just saw my friends, my, my peers and stuff like that. Like that kid was mean to me. But slowly that idea became they're white. I'm brown. I see. Mm-hmm. They're yellow. I'm brown. Mm-hmm. Like they're different. But not because I was told to view them as that way. Is how they just told me that that's how they viewed me uh, in school. I see. Um, because... I was put in ESL and I didn't leave it until I was in the last semester of my senior year, even though I was speaking perfect English compared to everybody else. When I realized that is when one of the teachers told me like this explicitly, she's like, you have a Spanish last name, so you're here no matter what. And you have to prove yourself if you want to get out of this class. And... So you're just assumed to be... Yeah, I was just put in there by default, even though my English is pretty much the same way that I'm speaking to you now. Right. And, like, and slowly I started to think in English, and I was like, why is that? Like, Spanish name. So I was like, what's wrong with my Spanish name? Like, how is that to default me? And that became a huge crutch for me through, like, all of my school life. Mm. Um, but, like, that was like, oh, gosh, like, we're different people. This is how people see me. And so that... That really shattered my world because for me, I was like, I, I want to be friends with anybody, friends with everybody who wants to be friends with me and, and you know, get along with them. But that type of like, no, you, you're you're this. So therefore, we put you here and that's where you're going to be unless you can prove yourself that you've like basically assimilated with our group. So you had mentioned, Edward, that 
you've maybe felt like there was too much focus on depressing aspects of the immigrant experience. And a word I think she used was ethnoporn or something. Without, but they should have maybe highlighted more the complexities and dynamism. Was that you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so of. it was, uh, um, Z and I would have had talked about a little okay, bit about this. Yeah. Um, Do you want to explain that a little more or some examples that you? Yeah. So she, she, she mentioned, um, I think it was during one of YMCA events that they went to, I think it was mm-hmm. the ball, right? Yeah. The ball. Um, and they basically, uh, bring in the, the fugees, um, as a token, group saying like look how, how how far people can get look how bad they had it and you know they just showed up pictures of the team and all these people felt really good about themselves they're like oh, look we're making a difference um to these people that have it really bad because their nations are just so backwards and you know they're third world countries and they had all these pictures and videos of showing of, of the living conditions and whatnot. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, it, it's almost like they these people that were doing the, um, the fundraiser, um, they got some gratification out of it. And that's what uh, the ethnoporn was, is they're looking at this to get some satisfaction, yeah. um, seeing what horrible conditions people uh-huh. live in. And it's like, oh, yeah, we've helped them. So it was yeah. more about them than about the Fujis. Yeah. So yeah. And what these kids had actually done and overcome. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, the, the immigrant experience is so much more than that. It's so much more, hey, my country is run down, you know, being run by a corrupt government. And there's these crime organizations that have taken over and we live in fear. Mm-hmm. There's more than that, too. You know, at least to me as a Mexican, um, you know, a lot of people are like, ah, well, stuff going down there. But it's like, yeah, but look how rich my culture is. Mm-hmm. There's there's more than that. There's, you know, there's music. There's, uh, you know, tequila. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's uh, there's so much more. There's, you know, our language is dynamic. You know, we're very happy people, uh, Joyce. And, you know, it definitely seemed like the Fujis were very similar. Like, they, they're like, oh, they come from a... Uh, a country run by Muslims and um, they do so bad. It's like, but like you got to realize, like you are looking at these uh, refugees through the lens of like pity, mm. whereas like, dude, no, that's 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 just one bias that you're looking at. You might be against that religion or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, there's so much more to the culture itself, and I think uh, Luma did a great job about you know giving us some context of what actual Muslim religion is like for one how that led her down this path where she actually you know was doing this great project to help refugees from other nations muslim or not right it really bothered me when i was like listening to that story because it's such it's a thing it's like a big thing because like she was explaining that when she was taking these kids to to the ball itself how she realized that a lot of these kids had no idea what the culture was when, like, eating at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Like, some of these kids, you know, these kids would eat with their hands and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they were like, why do we have three forks? And I was like, <laughs> like, oh, well, each fork is for a specific thing. Like, so just do what I do and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And when she was explaining how, how like, these, like, funders and stuff like that, like, oh, well, thank you for helping these kids. As of, like, everybody else outside of this bubble, like, doesn't matter or doesn't count because they're different or whatever. Mm-hmm. And how basically these funders based made these kids and like, you know, like the organization made these kids as poster children mm-hmm. where none of their story was told where they came from, what they struggled through, what they saw, what they experienced. But they were like, well, look what we're doing and stuff like that. Right. Well, while really not doing anything because it was Luma that was doing all this work, not the YMCA. The YMCA just wanted the money. And, right. you know, just like, you know, have that instant gratification. Therefore, you know, going to like back to ethnoporn of us like, oh, look, I'm helping this person by giving them money. It's, it's like those like advertisements that you see. It's like, oh, well, you can give these people shoes. They don't need shoes. They 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 need other things than just shoes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But but like they're they're only giving you this small sliver cutout of a of a bigger picture right. about themselves and about what's going on. And how can we genuinely help them out? Right. I think uh, Luma really did a great job about pointing that out. Was uh, I think it was Luma's grandma, and I was like, "Well, what then? Oh yeah, what next? Like, okay, right. so you've done this, then what? Yeah, um, you don't get to sit and feel satisfied. Yeah, for exa- very long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I, I think uh, Luma is, you know, just a great person in general for, for that mentality. It's like, this is not enough. I've done something great, but there's always more I can do. Uh-huh. Right. I, I don't get to sit here and pat myself on the back. Right. But then there's also, like, that the other dynamicness of, like, trusting that they can help themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that, like, uh, she was, like, explaining it a little bit further with one of her, like, the kids that she was helping out, she, like, where she bit her tongue, uh, figuratively, not literally, um, because she wanted to, like, help this kid forward. But she understood that there's a point where sometimes they just need to figure it out too. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, with be, any child. Right, yeah. with any child. Because, you know, like like naturally you want to baby them. You want the best for them. You want to protect them and stuff like that. But there's also that, like, where there's maybe too much mm-hmm. of that thing. And it always reminds me of, like, that one saying of, like, you know, give a man a fish and, you know, he'll eat for a day. Right. But teach a man how to fish, then he will eat forever. Right. Uh, that type of idea. Um, I'm probably saying that wrong, but. No, um, I think it's. But that yeah, type of idea yeah. is, like, what rings out to me. Um, but there, there, there's a, there's a level where one needs to kind of like be a little bit, l- uh, less tight on that grip of wanting to help. Mm-hmm. Like that. And I think Luma and her growth and experience as she explains it and like her thought process, like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't have done this. Maybe I should have done it differently. Or this is how I wish I did it differently at that moment and stuff like that. It's really beautiful to see that dynamicness in her in her self-growth and I think can apply to like everybody. Yeah. So a lot you can learn from this, huh? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so also she, she, when she, uh, creates the Fuji family school, you others know, talk about the, the S word segregation and how there's really negative connotations to that, but how there's really positive connotations for that, that yes, this, this group of refugees are being quote unquote segregated, mm-hmm. but it's, in their in their sense, it's it's getting them up to the level where they can compete, I guess. Or have. Right. Um, so I, I thought that was really interesting. The sort of positive negative connotations and how she she says, yes, segregation, especially how it was practiced in America for so long. That's it's pretty terrible, and it continues. I mean, right. Um, with school choice, that kind of stuff. I, I think I was talking to you, Edward, about it, and mm-hmm. I really have conflicts with that because. You, you you have your neighborhood school, and that's where all the kids would go in your neighborhood, no matter who they were. And then you can have school choice where people say, oh, I want to go to this nice school over here. And so then everybody goes to that nice school, and that neighborhood school just gets completely neglected. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't, I, don't know what the <laughs> I don't know what the answer is. Um, you know, shipping kids like Z, you know, you said you went to a pretty much all-white school. Oh, um, yeah. And... Is is that bad for kids? Do they need a school that's more, more people like them? Or I, I don't know. I don't know what the right. I think that the right way is. Yeah, that kind of speaks on kind of like the, the the systemic manipulation of the English language. Like these words are meant to instill a particular idea. Because how I would view it is like segregation is being told where I'm told to go, but then separation is me going where I want to go. And that's a very distinct huh. like line there mm-hmm. because like segregation, at least like when you see it in like in America, it, you know, like slavery, you know, blacks only whites only brown, you know, colored right, only right, like right. those things. Right. That's, that's a system telling you where to go without like your input or opinion. Um, but separation is like, no, I would prefer to be like I am more comfortable being with this particular group or being right here and then coming back out here when I want to. Um, and, and that's like kind of like the thing where uh, like when she was when Luma was explaining it in her book, um, you know, she was like, oh, yeah, well, this is just an all refugee school. And I was like, oh, well, you're just segregating and segregating and segregating. And I was like, no, no, like sometimes we need this our just our own people to to just work, you know, within our own terms and stuff like that to help each like ourselves heal and grow and to be able to come out of that uh, to that level where we've like, assimilated or we're able to, I guess, compete, you know, we're able to right. like be functioning citizens to a, to a higher level than just being someone who speaks very little English you know, knows maybe like three words perfectly, but everything else is just, yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's kind of like a halfway 
place. Right, because like she explained it, uh, like at least one um, her students were like, "We're not babies," like because she she gave them these like like kindergarten books uh-huh. and like, "Oh, we're not babies. We're like we're too old. Like we're like fifteen or whatever." I was like, "Well, like, but do you understand the assignments in here?" And they're like, "No." So does that make you a baby? It's like no, like because like yeah, like you wouldn't throw your parent in into like a different like country that where they they speak no language. Like no, you want to teach them where they are at, and and so that ideology is like oh okay, because not everyone starts off at the same foot, right? Uh-huh. And so I think that sometimes there is a need for that because like you'll see it like throughout American history where there's people, groups that are just like no, we're just better off on our own uh, sometimes, and that can be a good thing. Yeah, um, but it has to be on the that particular group's terms, Interesting. right? Kind of like uh, the way I see is like uh, the way the Fujis are segregated. It's not a permanent thing. They they make ev- they they are pulled from the rest of the group because of the the people that need the most help, mm-hmm. and then they get them to that point where like yes, now you're cut up. Now you get to go back to school. Exactly. Uh, it'd be a different story. Like you, like they kept mm-hmm. you in ESL. Because if you're last name, spent, <laughs> for your last name. Mm-hmm. so that that's I think that's the negative aspect of segregation. We're like mm-hmm. they're like, oh, you're just gonna stay here in ESL because you know your last name, mm-hmm. Spanish last name. Versus with Luma's like way she segregates uh, the Fujis is like, you know what, you're the bottom of the people. That, you know, you're the bottom people that are applying to school. You're definitely the one that needs the most help. We're gonna bring you in. We're gonna keep you here. And then help you move on. We're, gonna, right. we're we're not gonna we're not gonna keep you here. We're gonna bring you in. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get you to the level that you're supposed to be in with the extra help that you need. Yeah. Right. And then move on. Because otherwise, if we don't pull you, we're gonna throw you in a system. You don't understand what's going on. You don't speak the language. You're gonna fall through the cracks. Right. And you're You'll never just be gonna catch on. up. Yeah. Passed exactly. On. Like how she spoke about like how some of the students were just passed. Like they understood nothing in the curriculum that they were uh, supposed to learn, but they were just passed just because I'm like, well, I don't have to deal with you. Go on or whatever. Exactly. And stuff like that. Um, I have a teacher friend who, who worked at a school um, with a lot of kids <clears throat> whose main language was, was Spanish. And uh, she was pressured a lot to, you know, well, just pass them on to the next grade. Well, they're not ready, you know. Just do it. We, d- we don't want to mm-hmm. deal with that fallout or whatnot. So you just mm-hmm. keep shoving them. And then you have this kid, I can't remember his name, but, you know, he he's, was an adult and still didn't know how to read or, or do basic. Yeah. Yeah. And you see things that you would expect the, someone at that age to know. Right. Mm-hmm. I guess um, I, it's really interesting how you say separation and segregation. You know, they're kind of similar thing, but it's, it's who initiates it. And mm-hmm. I think. Equity and equality, that's always a hard thing right. for, for people to understand what mm-hmm. the difference is. And equality is just saying, okay, everybody in this group gets the same book. Yeah, Everybody in this group gets an iPad, right? right. So it's all equal. But equity is where you, what she's doing with these Fuji schools. She's making sure that they're, where they started from, they're at, they get to mm-hmm. the same level. So they might need a longer ladder. Right. Than somebody else does. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people don't, don't realize that. And, you know, they get lost in this, like, well, it's not fair for everyone. Uh, things aren't equal. Um, you know, my life is hard, too. Yeah. But here's the thing. For you to do this one action, it takes you one step. Someone that's starting from, um, they, they don't know how to read. Right. You know, they, they don't speak the language. They have to do five other things to even catch up to where you're at, to do right. the same level. Right. So that's where the equity comes in. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. It's like, it's, how can we help you through those five steps to get you to that equal place? Equal place. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Like that one kid who was like selling, I think it was gum or something like that, like uh, to Luma. And like Luma, she was able to do the math in her head. Like, okay, so if I take this much, like, now how much do I owe you and stuff like that? And he had to pull out a calculator and he was like, what, 11 or something like that? Yeah. It was like basic and, addition. Right. Yes. It was like basic addition or subtraction and stuff like that. And she was like, like, how, why do you need the calculator? Like, I could do it in my own head, but he couldn't, and stuff like that. So, just like that kind of. Well, I think ideology. even mm-hmm. <laughs> even white kids in public school can't. I mean, if you've ever like had kids that you, they have to count back money, right? And they don't have a till or, or something to mm-hmm. tell them exactly what change to give. It's like, oh, I don't know how to do that, <laughs> right? And I guess that really does speak on just the general school system in America. 
yeah than just like one like one place and stuff like that yeah. it's like yeah, it's... we are more worried about like the numbers and people actually understanding the the content, the content. Of, of the curriculum yeah oh. uh, so speaking of education luma talks about a lot of suggestions she would like to see schools change did you do you agree with any of her select her suggestions or I think? yeah, it might might be a little bit controversial, but yeah, I I do believe I I very much agree with a lot of the aspects you were saying. Um, definitely feel like we don't have the same emphasis into uh, our teachers as mm-hmm. other countries do. Like she mentioned, our, our program is very much certification based, and then they try to pile up the certifications and then move up into administration. And you you can go to almost any school and you can get a teaching degree mm-hmm. um, and, you know, fairly easy compared to other developed nations um, whose schooling system is better. You know, uh, she was talking, I think it was a Finland that she was saying it's, it's like 10% acceptance rate. I think what she mentioned um, for anyone trying to become a teacher. Right, or like so, and that might be a little bit, be a little bit hard <laughs> to teach as it is, you know, teachers being, being a teacher is not, not an easy job and it's, it's very hard. Um, and a lot of them gets dumped on them. Like, Oh, kids are failing because of the teachers and that's not necessarily fair to say either i think our system is failing our teachers and sending Absolutely. them a, sending them out uh, out underprepared and uh, that's other thing i i feel is that if you if you're going to a teaching career i think your sole focus and your sole desire should be teaching should be not more move, rigorous yeah. yeah not moving up onto administration it's like oh, i'm gonna get these certs and then i move to certif- uh, move right. to administration and then don't have to see the classroom anymore because right. i mean there's that saying what is it those who can do, do, and those who can't teach, right? So it just totally devalues teaching yeah, as, as, as a profession, as anything. Right, because, like, there was, like, that lady that Luma was describing, like, she came from Africa, and, like, teachers there are, like, they're, like, on par with, like, doctors and right. police officers. Like, Lawyers. Like, yeah, yeah, like, they're, like, really on that level. But when she came here and, like, you know, started to apply to different jobs, she saw, like, the I guess, like, the lack of a better term, the lack of respect that they had for teachers and stuff like that. And yeah. like, that's like, that speaks a lot. Like, like, you know, cause I think a lot of people like, like, Oh, Africa is a third world country or whatever and stuff like that. But like, how, how do they yeah. beat us in that part of, of you know, yeah. of the system than on here where we're like, we like to believe ourselves to be like the best, best country in the world. And stuff right. like that. Yeah. So the reason we're kind of coming around to why I gave it a 4.5, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I felt at times uh, Luma was a little rough on on teachers um my sister's a teacher i have quite a few teacher friends um i don't disagree with you at all edward that there are some really crappy teachers and it's not rigorous rigorous enough and we're so desperate for teachers so we'll just let anybody do it um and i don't think anybody can just do it mm-hmm. even even with schooling i think mm-hmm. it takes a certain type of of skills and but but i did feel like a couple times she made me kind of angry i think it was chapter six and seven i can't remember but I was like, don't dump on teachers. And, you know, and, and your school is a, like a charter school. You can pick and choose who you want, and you get to have a certain class size. Um, not that they had it easy by any means, but, you know, public school teachers, they, they deal with a ton, and they don't have a lot of support, and they don't have hardly any respect. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But, but she, she really, you know, she didn't back down on what she thought was really crappy about our system. And yeah. And I think we really should pay attention to what she has to say. Yeah, and it definitely goes back to, like, if, if you were strictly blaming um, teachers, and uh, this, this goes back to my, my engineering background, is uh, you're blaming the operator. Uh-huh. And that's really bad. If your root cause is the operator, chances are is that that issue is going to come up, come up again. Uh, if you actually want to tackle the root cause, you look at the process. Uh-huh. So the process in this case would be, the way we prepare teachers mm-hmm. and the, the hmm. issue, I guess, and I guess I, I can see where, where you'd be upset if she was solely focusing on the teachers, but right. it's not their fault they're underprepared. So we definitely need to be looking at the process of exactly. making our teachers. And at the same time, like dude, being a teacher is not, <laughs> not easy by any means. It's one of the hardest jobs. It's, it's emotionally, you know, tolling, yeah. tolling and, you know, and they don't, they don't have, they usually don't have the support. They're like, I'm going to just roll with it. Luma's, like, process is quite extensive and very impressive, at least to me. Like, she, because when she was explaining it, you know, like, at first, like, she was hiring, like, a lot of, like, 
white women and stuff like that. But right. then when she like started to look more at like the, the not names but at the paper and stuff and like like who these people are as in characteristics, like it started to advance more. Um, where uh, you know, like we had a better, more I guess diverse yeah. pool of teachers and stuff like that, and like all of these teachers were more dedicated and not just there for administration. Uh, or like, oh, I just want to be a principal in like two years, I'll be gone and stuff like that. Like, no, like these people, like these teachers were here and for that. Right. And just like how she, like how the school is built with layers upon layers of support and community from your own peers, from your teachers and from out of school and how they were able to like, like compensate and meet the needs of like the external communities. Cause like that was like, she was like speaking on like kids, like ending up being translators for their parents and stuff like that and how that can be a resentful thing because like at least i know from my experience i had to be the translator for my parents mm-hmm. because they're like oh, me, mijo, they're like dile esto. i'm like oh, okay and, and i'm like 10 i'm like right. i'm already like working as a, as a you know a translator for my parents and stuff like that trying to get them to do things that i have no understanding of exactly yeah um but yeah it makes me really wonder if we applied similar principles of how she built food like the fuji academy to like the rest of the country how vastly different we would be yeah because like even her disciplinary actions where it's not like well i guess there there was a limit you know where like there were some things that you could not do um that but like they had like a restorative justice process yeah where like like the whole school would come together and determine what i guess quote unquote the punishment, the punishment. or uh, or the consequences would be for this one student who did you know who stole the iPads in right. in that one chapter. And, and like they would decide. And it's not like, well, you stole the iPads, so you're suspended and you never come back out and stuff like that. Yeah. And and how like the kid he like never did it again and stuff like that. And how like he grew as a person that way. I think uh, what that has to say is that they didn't choose the easy route of all right, you're done. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know what? Uh, this might be not a failure, not just your failure, it's our failure because right. for some reason you did this and we didn't do much to avoid it. Um, mm-hmm. So we're par- partially responsible. Um, yeah, no, the fact that she and, was very mm-hmm. adamant about that, like, no, like, our kid's failure is not their failure, it's our failure. It's everyone's failure. Yeah. yeah. And I do I do love how she, you know, she emphasized sport. <laughs> there weren't really any sports, mm-hmm. it was just soccer, but, you know, that was, that was very important because it made that, sort of team atmosphere and mm-hmm. how arts were important. Everybody had to sing or they had to play an instrument or, mm-hmm. or some way of expressing themselves like that. And I, and I think that was really, right. really And it special. helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because like that one kid who was having a difficult time in his, in his uh, family group, how he would like, or Luma would tell him to run. Oh, until right. like, like his like stress was gone or that emotion was out of his, chest basically didn't hurt he didn't hurt so bad yeah yeah, yeah that was yeah it was like it was so beautiful was and like beautiful. when they uh like when they went to like that uh that one game and uh that one kid like like messed him up or whatever and instead of like picking a fight with this kid he just started running and i was, <laughs> and like how like floored everybody else was because yeah i would have just like like thrown my hands in there in yeah. the ringer right there yeah but like that was beautiful that he taught this kid you know, a, a much more healthier way of expressing that bottled up emotion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess a key takeaway from this is that uh, we need a soccer league at the library. Okay, <laughs> totally <laughs> everybody needs a soccer league. Now. <laughs> um, and, and I think and one of the other things that she thought that more schools should, should implement, um, so it was CRT, but it was a different CRT than we were mm-hmm. thinking, you know, uh, culturally responsive teaching. So have a culturally diverse curriculum as far as like the books that you read. Maybe not every single book be in the Western canon or about oh, America yeah. or England. You know, how about books about myths and fairy tales from Africa? Um, holidays. Don't mm-hmm. just celebrate the usual Western holidays. Mm-hmm. You celebrate different ones, especially if kids are in your room. It seems to me that, you know, people are, some parents are pushing back. Well, that's anti-American. You're just trying to make America look bad or be right. bad. When mm-hmm. you're not, you're just saying, wow, let's be a little more global. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like the whole whole thing where, like, uh, where do you keep the ketchup, you know, to keep it in the cabinet or in the fridge. Oh, okay. And then um, if, if you're able to bring 
I think, at least I think, if you're able to like bring aspects from different backgrounds, it makes you more efficient as a society uh, because this is what happens in the workplace where you, we, you tend to hire people that are very much like you, mm-hmm. right? So then um, as librarians, you know, we, we, we start hiring librarians and we just borrow, hire librarians, librarians, librarians. And now when an issue comes up, you all try to solve it looking at it the same way. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you try to solve as a librarian. But then someone comes in from like a different background and they like you. Different... <laughs> <laughs> patting myself on the back. Yes, you are. <laughs> uh, but no, um, so, you know, you bring someone from a different background and then they, they bring a different experience, you know, um, and then they're able to solve it diff- uh-huh. a different way. It's like, actually, you know, it's like, why isn't, why isn't this resolution sticking? And then you bring someone from the outside and then like, oh, what if you guys looked at it this way? And then you apply that solution and sometimes it works out better. And that's why diversity is so important. It's important, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. I think also like one of my favorite examples is uh, that one kid who was confused about Red Riding Hood. Oh, yeah. It's like they were talking about a jacket because they had no like, you know, hood to them was a jacket, like a hoodie. Right. And, and like, well, there was a wolf and like, and like how it, like it made no sense to them. Even though for us we understand what like what you know Red Riding Hood means, but right. like but to him like their culture in his head he was just swirling around with this idea of, like okay so the, he, like, the wolf is trying to eat a jacket and like like <laughs> this and like that I'm like what and, and so and and then she like and how she retold the story but in in a his um, context yeah, yeah in his context of culture of like where he understands that like okay right. there was a little girl and you know like there was a wolf and stuff like that and like retold the story but in a way that he could understand because those themes speaking. are universal yeah it's just from different contexts yeah exactly because cool. like we have the boogeyman and here we have you know and in mexico we have el cucuy or la llorona and stuff like that you know? Coco. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um so you had mentioned uh when we were talking about this earlier edward um resource guarding and i didn't know what you meant Mm. by that can you explain what that is yeah so um this is uh in regards to the uh early on in the book where one of the coaches is yelling um racist slurs at the at the, at the fugees because mm-hmm. they're beating his team right so basically what research guarding is would be showing signs of aggression or behaviors when they perceive a threat to a valuable resource in their possession or that they believe to be um in their possession. So it doesn't have to necessarily be theirs, but the opportunity for them to have that resource. Have that them, win. Have that win, right? Yeah. Um, so in this case, um, uh, he saw, you know, these kids, these kids of color uh-huh. that they these were foreigners. Taking, these foreigners yeah. that came to his land <laughs> and then they are here taking the win from their, from his team. That's where the aggression came from. He's, you know, you know, this, this term comes from like, Research guarding from dogs. Um, oh. So when a dog is uh, showing signs of uh, resource guarding, you know, they might have a toy or a bone that they don't want you to touch, so they, they'll growl at you, they'll snap. Um, and that's, you know, dangerous behavior in, in, in an animal because, you know, it can lead to bite humans. You know, we're not, we're not so different. <laughs> you were animals, and, yeah. you know, we do similar behaviors. And I think, you know, to your point where you're talking about CRT, you know, uh, People push back on having more more diverse education because that's un-American. Uh-huh. That in itself could be viewed as resource guarding. They're scared that if we bring in people from outside, their culture is going to replace our culture. And, you know, culture is, is a valuable resource yeah, so that they're guarding true. it. And you get this aggressive pushback of, mm-hmm. let's not do that. And I think, um, as you said, or as you hear, um, well, we don't want these immigrants because they're taking – taking our jobs or taking this or taking that. And mm. I, that's resource guarding too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just a yeah. fear of fear of, of losing out what you have. So there's a, there's a book. Um, can't remember her name. The author, Heather McGee, maybe anyway, it's called the sum of us. Mm. And she talks about in the U S specifically, and she, she mentions the story of these towns would have these gorgeous swimming pools and the community loved them. They were such a great community resource. But they were segregated. Mm. And so instead of letting black Americans swim in their pool and that everybody would get to enjoy it, they closed the pools and they, and they paved over them. And, and that to me is, is a resource guarding. No, mm. you can't have our things. Mm-hmm. And then therefore they're hurting themselves. Mm. So basically she's just saying that racism and, and bigotry hurts Everybody. Mm-hmm. It doesn't right. just hurt, you know, the people you're pushing away. 
but you you paved over your own pool now you can't enjoy it right yeah, yeah it's uh this goes back to like uh the course that i took back in college uh took animal behavior class and one of those things was spite and and it's one of those things where like it does not make sense why spite's a thing because it hurts both you know both parties, right? And you know that, that's a spiteful thing to do, and we're both getting hurt. It's one of those yeah. things like, why, why do we do this? It's harmful to both of us. Nobody wins here. Nobody wins. Um, Nobody right. wins. And it's very childish because it's you know it's the same idea of like, no, my toy. You can have my toy because this is my toy. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, and then like you don't get to play with anyone, right? Yeah. Exactly. And uh, you know, and like no one likes it now and stuff like that. And, just, and like no one wants to play with me. Why? <laughs> Like, cause like you didn't want to play with anybody, you didn't want to share. Yeah, right, exactly. And so it's just like you know, obviously we're not fighting for toys all the time and stuff like that. But you know, it's this very childish idea, and we're like, well, we're adults, so we know better and stuff like mm. that. Do yeah, we, we really don't know? really, do we? Are there any other um, thoughts you got, you have? Do you want to share That's something we didn't cover? Any other questions and what you want people to get out of this book? I really loved like so. I listened to the audiobook. Oh, okay. I definitely would recommend listening to it at least once, or at least finding the chapter where she explains what it's like to be a refugee, but in the context of the United States. Well, thank you, Edward and Z, for this really great discussion of Learning America by Luma Mofle. Our next book, Chatterpick, is a kind of Western showdown. We'll have two hosts, Jana and Edward. We're going to read Lewis Erdrich's book, uh, The Roundhouse. Denise and I will read the classic Western True Grit by Charles Portis. And then we're going to talk about and investigate how the West is viewed differently in these two books, certain themes about it, and what we can learn from those differences and perspectives. So that should be kind of fun. I hope it works out. The Roundhouse and True Grit are available in print from our library and in ebook and audiobook formats from the Front Range Downloadable Library. So read, listen to the book or books, and join the conversation. See our program notes for how to send us your comments and questions. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks for listening. See you next time on Book Chatter, the book club for busy people.